John 8, 12 to 30, God's word says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where, where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor the father. If you knew me, you would know that my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I'm from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for Jesus. We are gathered in his name uh, to praise and magnify him, to worship him uh, through song and prayer and the hearing of your word, the seeing of your word through receiving communion, Lord. And we're so grateful for your redemptive work. God, we pray this morning uh, that your love would penetrate through uh, the veil of darkness that is around us, would open our eyes to your truth and your light and your your love and your mercy. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. All of God's people said, amen. About 12 years ago, I visited uh, Lake Powell. It's a large reservoir lake bordering Utah and Arizona. Uh, the lake is beautiful and remote. The closest city is hundreds of miles away. It's basically the epitome of the, the middle of nowhere. You're out in the middle of nowhere when you go to Lake Powell. Uh, we rented a, a houseboat for a week with a number of families from our church at that point in time. And the first night on top of the boat, when the, the sun had gone down, I don't believe there was a, a moon out that evening. It was a new moon. We're on top of the boat, and it revealed an amazing sight. Stars have always been above us, right? Available for everyone to see. But when you get closer to, to neighborhoods and cities, 
man-made light makes it more and more difficult to see those natural fires burning in the sky thousands of miles away, right? Just go down in the city and what you have is light pollution. The light of the city lights kind of cloud out or make us blind to be able to see the, the stars above. But disconnected from the distractions, noise, and light pollution of everyday life, I could see clearly the beauty of the celestial lamps that God had spoken into existence thousands of years before. The stars lit up the skies. Constellations became clear. The Milky Way shone bright. I've never seen these natural lights so clearly and so vividly as I did that night out in the middle of nowhere. I believe this story illustrates the pollution in our life that obscures uh, seeing clearly the divine light of God. Thinking back to Lake Powell, those burning majestic fires in the sky were far more beautiful than any man-made city lights, right? And my, my discovery, this incredible moment of awe and beauty reminds me of all that pollutes what has been evident throughout all of time. The light that is God revealed through the light of his son, Jesus Christ. Our main idea for this morning is simply this. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Now, I have to get into some context and some history here for us to understand exactly what's going on in this passage. The passage picks up actually connecting to the Feast of Tabernacles. It's been quite a few weeks since we talked about that feast because we had Easter. We had a passage last week that I want to comment on. Uh, the beginning of, of John chapter 8, you'll notice in probably your modern translations, there's some brackets with some comments about that section. Going back, I believe, to John chapter 7, verse 53, to John eight eleven. We believe uh, it's the material, uh, the material that we covered uh, about the woman caught in adultery from last week. You guys remember that passage last week that we read through? The, the passage we preached last week is likely an historical event. It happened in history. However, it is not likely to be original to John's gospel. Most of your Bibles note that it's not found in the earliest manuscripts, and the early church fathers didn't mention the story in their commentary and teaching on John's, John's gospel, which has effects on our passage this morning and the timing of our passage and connecting it back to John chapter 7, which takes place during the feast or festival of tabernacles, or your Bibles may call it booths or tents. Okay, do you guys remember us throwing that word around, right, a few weeks ago, the feast of tabernacles, feast of booths, feast of tents. And so this, this story is connected back into chapter 7. If you'll recall uh, where we left off in chapter 7, Jesus has called himself living water. You remember that passage? Alluding to his fulfillment of this festival and the act of the priest at this festival would pour out water each day. And along with the pouring out of water at the festival, the priest would also light large torches to light up the temple as the light of the world, drawing the world in. You could see, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of light at night in this time frame. We didn't have electric lights on, incandescent light bulbs or anything like that. They would light fires, and so there would be torches everywhere throughout the temple that they would light up to basically make that kind of the light of the world. You could see it for miles and miles off in the distance, and yet, we know this, these torches were but a foreshadowing of the true light of the world, right? Jesus says this in verse 12, 
The Bible says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am. I want to pause there. Jesus says, I am a lot in this passage. That is important. I'm going to make a comment about this and then I'll continue reading verse 12. This form of I am is is closely linked to the name of God from the Old Testament. Okay, if we recall the story of, of Moses in the book of Exodus, when God called to Moses from the bush that burned but was not consumed in Exodus, he gave Moses his personal name. Do you guys remember what that personal name was that he gave? He said, I am who I am. This is not a coincidence or happenstance in John's inspired writing. John is purposefully, and Jesus purposefully used I am, John is an eyewitness, connecting Jesus as God or I am, taking on the personal name of God. In fact, right, the Old Testament scriptures were written in Hebrew, but they had been translated at this point to Greek, and the words that were used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament were the same words that Jesus is using here, calling himself the I am. Back to verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. This statement is sure to cause a stir with the religious leaders, as we'll find in the remainder of the passage. It's a startling statement. Jesus connects himself with the great I am. He basically says, I'm the fulfillment of all these torches of light that you've lit up tonight to light up the temple. He's connected himself to the Father, and he also connects himself with light which relates to themes throughout Scripture. We're going to do a quick kind of pathway all through Scripture, Old Testament into New Testament, both in the, in the positive aspects or effects of light in the world, that is Jesus, and in salvation. Quickly working through Scripture from the outset, Genesis 1, 3, and 4. And God said what? Let there be light. And there was what? Light. And God saw that the light was, notice this, good. And God separated, this is important, the light from the darkness. Notice the division or distance between light and darkness. We also see God's guiding light in Exodus, Exodus 13, 21. And the Lord went out before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, right? So they could see. And by night, notice this, in a pillar of fire to give them what? Light. That they might travel by day and by night. The light leads and illuminates the pathway. The psalmist, David, says this in Psalm 27.1, The Lord is my what? Light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The prophet, when looking forward to the suffering servant to come, states this in Isaiah 49.6, I will make you as a light. For the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. The New Testament Gospels, John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John again in his letters to the church, 1 John 1, 5, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is what? Light, and in him is no darkness at all. James, the brother of Jesus, says this in chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. 
with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. But these men in John chapter 8 do not see the light of Christ. It's hidden from them due to a number of different light pollutions that keep them from seeing the awe, majesty, glory, and salvation of Jesus. Light pollution number one that they have is this, their traditions. Their traditions. The, the pollution creeps in even with the best of intentions and clouds the true light of Christ. Noted in my sermon last week that that it was an issue of just being a little off course. You guys remember that statement last week? Just a little off course for generations that's led the religious leaders to not see God in the flesh before them. I want to constantly remind you, they are face to face with Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. 13 to 17. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself, your testimony is not true. I'm going to pause and comment on that statement. They're actually attempting to use here Jesus's words against him. If you read in your, in your own Bible study, read John 5.31 this week. You'll see they're trying to use Jesus's words against him. Jesus then answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from. I know where I'm going, but you do not know where, where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Then notice the way that Jesus says this. In your law, right? In your tradition, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. The the light pollution clouds their sight. They cannot fathom or accept that this poor carpenter's son is indeed the Messiah sent to save, right? He doesn't match their anticipation for what the, the coming Messiah would do, that this conquering king would enter into Jerusalem and reestablish the throne over Israel and would overcome all of their political enemies. How could this peasant accomplish this? Tradition clouds their judgment, a tradition that should have pointed them in anticipation of the Son of Man, Jesus. Instead, they have been so clouded by twisted rules and regulations, they are blind to this, to the light of grace that Jesus brings. They attempt to twist the words of Jesus just as they have twisted the law of God in lording it over the people. But even this backfires. You see, in John chapter 5, Jesus has already sufficiently upheld the law, right? Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't come to do away with it. He has already sufficiently upheld the law by providing witnesses to who he is. In that passage, he, he has indeed been vindicated through the witness of John the Baptist, the scriptures themselves attest to his coming. And ultimately, his, his Father in heaven who sent him bears witness to Christ. But Jesus, he'll converse with them. In cutting wisdom, he states, in your law, it is written. The questions come forth. Will they recognize Jesus? Will the celestial light of Jesus break through the light pollution of empty a religious tradition? And at this point, the answer to that question is a strong no from their part. No, thank you, Jesus. We're not following you. A question for us to face. Is there traditions that aren't necessarily founded upon Scripture in our lives that keep us from embracing the true light of Christ? 
that keep us from grabbing hold of his grace and mercy and salvation. Light pollution number two, authority. There's an issue with authority here. The supposed experts of the things of God struggle also with the light pollution of this perceived peasant. Again, Jesus, the carpenter's son, challenging their authority and position. Who are you, Jesus, to come in here and tell us? Who are you, Jesus, the word of God, to tell me how to live? John 8, 18 to 21. I am the one, Jesus says, who bears witness about myself. And the father who sent me bears witness about me, right? There's your two witnesses, guys. Even though back in John chapter five, we've already gone through this. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? I'll say like things about to get interesting in the passage. Jesus answered, these are heavy words. You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. This is cool right here. You want to see true authority and power, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. It's not going down just yet. It's going down when God's good and ready. So he said to them again, as if that wasn't clear enough, Jesus clarifies even more. I'm going away and you will seek me. You will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. These are the words of Christ. Who's the authority? The light pollution of their status and authority has blinded them to the light of Christ. Power, prestige, respect, and their religious status are in question because they must come forward to Christ now. They must admit that they too are hopeless sinners apart from the saving power of Jesus. You see, outwardly, they've lived a seemingly good life. They've strived to uphold the law. They've obeyed the festivals and the sacrifices. They've taught the people. They've memorized the scriptures. And yet, in all their tradition, religion, and practice, in their authority over the people, and their platform, they are still blind to the light of Christ. They're blind to God. In reality, the world has gripped their hearts. Their flesh tells them that they have done good and they are good enough and they don't need this poor peasant carpenter to give them advice or help them. Does that sound familiar? When you share the gospel and you share that people are broken in their sin, oftentimes I hear, well, I'm good though. I've lived a good life. I don't need the authority of Christ over me. I'm fine being my own authority. I'll do things my way. They are hopelessly lost in their sin, thinking their goodness and authority are enough to please the Father, but the true authority condemns them because they reject Him. It's a sad reality. Moreover, Jesus is so in control of all things, they can't even lay a hand on Him. You want to see authority? You're not taking me away just yet. No one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. That should provide comfort to us, family. Nothing operates outside of the sovereign will of God. Nothing. And he gives them 
the grim reality of his authority over their sinful state. Jesus says that he will go away and they cannot come because they're hopelessly lost in their sin. It should grieve us. Does calling upon Jesus as the final authority over your life create a source of light pollution in your life? Do you have an issue with his authority? Oftentimes we are quick to call Jesus Savior. Yes, Jesus, forgive my sins. But we struggle to call him Lord. We struggle to place ourselves under his authority. Kind of ties back into the story last week of the woman caught in adultery. When he said, go and sin no more. Jesus is saying, I have all authority and I'm telling you what to do. We want the forgiveness. We want the grace and the mercy, but we turn our back when Jesus tells us what we must do. Don't be like that. Call upon Jesus. We must receive him as both Lord and Savior. And I'm going further here because Jesus kind of draws this implication out. There is eternal consequences for this. Either an eternity in the presence of Jesus ruling and reigning with him or an eternity separated from the love of the Father. He will go away and they cannot come because they are hopelessly lost in their sin. I beg of you this morning, if you have not placed your faith, trust, and confidence in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, do so this morning. There's eternal consequences for that decision. Light pollution number three, position. Position, we're going to see a lot of different positions in this section now. We're going to play with that word a little bit. Position separates and clouds the religious leaders from seeing the light. Their judgment is polluted by their lack of a, of a heavenly and spiritual perception. Jesus did this. He humbly, he humbly came from heaven to earth, right? Position change. Humbled himself to show the way and to pay the penalty for sin. Verse 22 to 30. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, notice the different positions here. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus continues to make the teaching clear. So they said to him, who are you? Like, ooh. Like, can you, like if this, like, man, my, I read through this and my flesh starts to come in a little bit. Like, really guys, come on. If this was just an ordinary man, like how frustrated would Jesus be by this point? It's like grab hold of their shoulders, like the trembling, like, would you just listen to what I'm saying? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father, right? Shocker. So Jesus said to them, 
This is really, really important here. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Jesus is perfect. As He was saying these things, many believed in him. Earthly or worldly position again clouds their ability to judge with right judgment. Their spiritual perception goes right to about the tip of their nose. They just can't see it. It's right there, but they can't see past it. They're unaware of of what is right before them. God, salvation, mercy, grace, forgiveness of sins. Jesus has indeed provided all that they need to have the veil removed from the pollution of their souls. It's just too great. Tradition clouds authority and power veils and position impedes their perception of heavenly and spiritual understanding. Jesus has given sufficient evidence to prove his mission so that they may trust all that he teaches and most importantly, trust in him as Lord and Savior. What has he done? He's healed people. He's transformed water to wine. He's been baptized by John and the spirit descended upon him. And God the Father declared his pleasure in him. He has given witnesses to his identity in coming through John the Baptist, the word, the father, and his miracles. But the worldly position of these leaders won't allow them to see the powerful position of Jesus. Jesus further alludes to the work of his greatest position on our behalf. He says, when he is lifted up, verse 28, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. I'm reading the wrong chapter. Verse 28, turn the page. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. When you have lifted up the son of man, positioned on the cross of shame, they will put him there. Finally, and, and, and they may think that it was their authority that placed them on the cross, but ultimately it was the loving will of the Father that placed him on that cross. And it was our sin that held them there. But as Jesus is, is lifted up in humiliation, stripped bare, beaten, shamed, spat upon, and insulted, he's doing this. He is righting all the wrongs. He is redeeming. He is making all things new. He is ushering in the kingdom of God for his people. Jesus is the one who's powerful enough, perfect enough, authoritative enough that in his humiliation, hear this, in his humiliation is his exaltation. Little did the authorities know that when they posted the sign above his head on the cross, Jesus, King of the Jews, how right they were. At the cross, the humiliation of Jesus is his exaltation. There's indeed a dual meaning to the son of man being lifted up. 
He will be lifted up and affixed to that cross. But ultimately, hear these words, death could not hold him. The veil tore before him. He silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring the praise of his glory because he is raised to life again. Highly esteemed, highly exalted, the name above all names, Jesus, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. And through faith in his work, this is the good news, he's changed our position. The scriptures tell us that we've been positioned with Christ in the heavenly places. Do you believe that, Christian? Would you grab hold of that? So many of you are heavy with sin week after week after week. Your failures, your guilt, your shame, the things you've done in the past. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin at the cross and he positioned you with him in the heavenly places. That's why the gospel is called good news. We couldn't do that ourselves. We couldn't climb the ladder. We couldn't build the tower to heaven. Jesus did it. He's positioned us with himself. If we continue the race to completion, the scriptures promise this, that we will rule and reign and worship Jesus for all eternity, positioned with him for eternity in what the Bible calls new heavens and new earth. Christian, hear this good news. You're positioned with Jesus. It's amazing. I got a few more thoughts for you. I know there's a final thought in there. Go ahead and read that on your own. I'm skipping that this morning. I want want you to hear these two things. Salvation is available for you today. The gospel has been preached. The religious leaders we know by and large rejected the savior that came to save them. Even after his resurrection, the convincing proof that he is God in the flesh, they made up crazy stories to cover it up. Many people saw Jesus resurrected and they continued walking the path of sin. Don't follow in their footsteps. Follow the light of Christ. Don't let light pollution rip rip it away from your grasp. Take hold of Jesus Trust in him. He calls himself the resurrection and the life. Place your confidence in Jesus. Christian, emphasizing this again, you are indeed positioned with Jesus. I meet with person after person after person who they feel in their emotions. I just feel like God doesn't love me. God loves you enough. That while you were his enemy, he sent his son to save you. To die a gruesome death on the cross. Grab hold of that love that he has for you. Stop hating yourself. Embrace Christ. You're positioned with Jesus. Continuing in faith. Hear this. He is faithful as the scriptures say. He who began a good work in you is what? is faithful to bring it to completion.